So once again, hello. How are you guys today? I hope that you're doing great. Uh, I'm excited about being in church. Um, and I hope you are too. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us today or we just haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Jimmy. I'm the lead pastor here at Rocky River. And uh, I like to say that whether you're a first-time guest, long-time member, somewhere in between, uh, we're just glad that you're here and everyone is welcome. And by the way, after this service, I'm going to be out in the lobby, on the patio, or somewhere out in the parking lot. I'm not sure exactly where, but uh, if you're so inclined, I'd love for you to stop by and say hello. It would be, uh, be great to talk to you for just a minute. So uh, some, some Sundays, I don't really know how to explain it. It's, it's just like the Holy Spirit is so thick on you that you're just so excited to get out and preach. You just want the music to be over. And, and I'm sure that you rarely get that excited about the preaching, but I can't help it. I, I do. I'm, I'm, I'm the preacher. And uh, it, it must be something similar to what uh, maybe the NASCAR drivers are going to feel sometime today, you know, when they're strapping on the helmet and they're putting on gloves and they hit that starter button. They're just excited, and man, I'm excited too. I'm excited to be teaching this morning. Uh, sometimes I like to start with something funny, and uh, just since today is uh, what I would call the official start to NASCAR, uh, I don't really watch, you know, like the Xfinity stuff and, and the things they've had the last weekend or two there, but today's Daytona 500. Any race fans in the room? All right, just... Like four or five. I know better than that. This is Concord, North Carolina. This is the home of NASCAR. It was born here. It belongs here. There has to be more NASCAR fans in the room. Anybody excited about the Daytona 500? You're supposed to go, woo, like that. But anyway, so uh, just, just in, in honor of Daytona 500 and the kickoff to, to NASCAR, maybe you guys remember, I think it was 93, 94, something like that. When um, a lady sued McDonald's for like three million bucks because she bought a cup of coffee that uh, she spilled on her lap and severely uh, got severely burned and uh, anyway she she made like three million bucks off that. Well, I heard uh, just this week that a lady is suing Walmart and NASCAR because apparently she went into a Walmart and bought a Joey Logano T-shirt. And before she got home with it, she hit the wall three times. <laughs> and you had to be watching qualifying or racing yesterday to laugh at that joke right there. Sorry, Joey Logano, if you're listening today, I'm, I'm only kidding. Uh, and don't run over any Chevys, please. Um, in all seriousness, I was thinking the last couple of days about this message and, of course, today being the Daytona 500. And I thought, you know, a NASCAR race is kind of a perfect metaphor for today's family. And honestly, practically any lifestyle that people are living in right now, you're going in circles really fast. You get it? NASCAR, hard, sharp left turns, going around in circles really fast. And for some of us, life feels that way. 
We feel like we wake up, basically live out the same routine every day, and at a hurried NASCAR race type speed. And, and what it really feels like for, for lots of people, I know it can't just be, be me. I don't feel this way every day, but I, I do lots of days where you just feel like you, you're, you're going 100 miles an hour. I think they go faster than that at Daytona. You're going 200 miles an hour, and you're going nowhere fast. going around in circles. And I'll tell you what it's done. It's created an, an epidemic of, of stress. And not the good kind of stress. I mean the bad kind of stress. You know, there's a difference, right? Today we're gonna talk about stress and specifically we're gonna talk about what the Bible says about how to lower stress. But just as we get started, I wanna make sure that you know that there's a, a difference between the good stress and the bad stress. In fact, we need the good stress. The, the, the good stress is important to their survival of human beings. Uh, good, good stress is that, well, it's how you feel whenever you're threatened. Whenever there's something dangerous happening around you, you know, your blood pressure goes up, your pulse quickens, adrenaline shoots through your body, and all sorts of psychological and physiological things begin to happen inside of your body. That, that's a good thing. Like when you're standing in the middle of the road and a truck's heading in your direction. It's the good stress in your life that says, hey, man, get out of the road so you don't get run over. And so you have this extra shot of energy, this burst of energy, and so you can jump out of the road and out of the way of this vehicle. But the bad stress, the chronic stress, that, that's when you have the adrenaline rush that just doesn't seem to go away. That, that's when your heart rate picks up and it, and it doesn't go away quickly. It, it stays elevated for long periods of time. Um, basically, it's when your body doesn't go back to pre-stress levels. And listen, this can kill you. In fact, it is killing us. I read an article this week, you know, just in preparation for this series, and suicide has now replaced car crashes as the number one injury death in America. Think about that. Well, as you guys know, we kicked off a new series last week called A Whole New You, and I just didn't feel like we could deal with a series like this without talking about this problem of stress. And it's, it's not just a you problem. It's not just a me problem. It's not even just an American problem. It is a global problem. The more technologically advanced we become, the, the more connected we get with each other, the, the longer we're able to work. You know, now all of our work devices you know, our, our mobile, we, we can carry our work wherever we go, and, and many of us do. And so it's not just a, a you, me, or, or, or 
a, a we sort of problem. This is an everybody kind of problem. And, and you might be surprised that God has a lot to say about stress, about building margin into your life. See, a lot of people think that, well, God's only concerned about one part of our lives. He's, he, he's concerned about the spiritual aspect of our lives. We know in this series, we're gonna talk about the, the major domains in our, our lives, things like our spiritual life and our financial life, relationships, those sorts of things. But they all revolve around your spiritual life. But it's not just that one slice of your life that God's interested in. He, he's concerned about every area of your life because again, again, you're a whole person. God cares about the whole you. And so different things are connected to each other in different ways. And so we're dealing with the, the whole you, the whole me, to learn how to live better lives. And honestly, the kind of lives that God intends for us to live. You know, just to try to help you feel the heat here a little bit, very few of us, including your pastor, is living a whole life, balanced life, lifestyle. And it didn't seem to matter too much when I was in my 30s. But you know, once you cross that 50, Yard line. Things begin to change a little bit. Um, and, and not all in a bad way either. Like my I don't, I don't give a care level just went way high. Like there's just a lot of things I don't really care about anymore. It's like crossing over 50, you start to realize what's really important and what isn't important. And so the things that are not that important, I just don't really care that much about them. But other things begin to show up. If you're out of balance in your 30s and you're still living that way in your 50s, you can tell it. Hey, listen, I can tell it. You know, not to make a big deal about it, but I've been trying to make some lifestyle adjustments here recently. Tomorrow will be like three and a half weeks without a sun drop. And look, I'm not going to kid you. Every now and again, I could, I could drink a, a can of Sundrop, you know, the size of a five-gallon bucket. But I'll tell you what, I've slept so much better over the last three weeks since I'm not full of, I almost said cocaine, but I meant caffeine. <laughs> Just to tell you what's running through my head. But it, it was... I almost said coke, but it's caffeine. That's what I meant. Without the caffeine and the sugar. Um, anyway, we're going to be diving into Psalm 23. This is the, maybe the classic text on, on resting. And this is not the last time you're going to hear about resting during this series. Now, before we unpack Psalm 23, line by line, I want to give you just a little bit of the context because remember, every verse of the Bible, every every chunk of the Bible, every book of the Bible has a a context. 
The 23rd Psalm was written by King David. Say King David. King David. And what he's doing, I happen to think that David is older in life when he, he writes this. You know, I don't think he's a young man. I think he's an older man, older king. And he, he's looking back over his life. And he's, he's talking about how he's known God in the past, how he knows him today, and how he, he believes he'll know him tomorrow in the future. And as a part of this, he, he looks back at his, his old job, his, his first job, his early job, the, the job that he had, you know, while he was still in school as a kid. Uh, it, it was the job he had in, in his formative years, the, the job that God used to form David into the leader he would become. He, he looks back at his life as a shepherd. And he, he realizes, and, and by the way, this whole metaphor of God being a shepherd, it, it's nothing new. It's mentioned another, a number of times just in the book of Psalms. Um, where God is referred to as a shepherd, shepherding and taking care of his people. And other kings, other leaders in Israel are referred to as shepherds. I'll remind you that Jesus said about himself in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And so it's a, it's, it's a common sort of metaphor, but it's so important. When David thinks back over his life with God and, and his own life as a shepherd, he thinks of God as one who shepherds and cares for his people. And, and a lot of us are familiar with this psalm, aren't we? You, you've probably heard it. Um, I, over the last, what, 23 years now as a pastor, I've probably averaged anywhere between three and five funerals a year. So... The, my best count is that somewhere around 65 to 70 funerals that I've done in, in my ministry. And at every one of those funerals, I have either read from this scripture passage or given a message from this scripture passage. And I don't know if I've ever been to a funeral where this scripture passage didn't come up. I mean, it's a familiar one to us, but, but listen, this is not just a, a fluffy sort of love song to God. It's, it's, it's not necessarily what Hallmark would ever pick out to put on the front of a greeting card. It's not just a story or a song about sunshine and roses and all these good times you have with God. It's a song, a psalm about going through the good times and the hard times, the dark valleys, the valley of the shadow of death, and a God who's with you in the good times and a God who's with you in the dark times. It's very real to life. And I think that's the reason that it's so important to us uh, in times of, of need. Maybe you're in need this morning. Maybe the need in your life is that you are just stressed out to the point that you don't know what to do about yourself, with yourself. You don't know what happens next. I just want to encourage you to lean in 
to this psalm. Before we unpack it line for line, I want you to hear it all together. And this is in the New International Version. So it's not in the King James Version or the New King James Version. Those those versions are really kind of the familiar version to you. I want you to hear it in the New International Version. It's a little bit different. It may cause you to listen to it a little differently. But David begins by saying, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack for nothing. Or I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley, uh, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You know, one of the things that makes this passage of Scripture mean so much to me, one of the things, is just knowing something about David's life. Do we have any per- perfect people in the room? I'm just curious. Haven't asked in a while. Just a show of hands. How many perfect people? Okay. Two. All right. <laughs> we call the office. We need to make an appointment together. <laughs> I, I hate to do it, but I want to show you that you're wrong. None, none of us are perfect people. And David was a notorious sinner. David committed crimes that you would surely be impeached for in the House and the Senate. They'd go all the way. David committed crimes he would surely be put in prison for in a more modern society. And here he is writing about his relationship in the past with God and knowing God now and what God does and how God provides. And then he talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Tremendous words from a tremendous leader, but certainly not a perfect leader. David starts by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. The the word that's translated here as Lord in the Hebrew is Jehovah. Say Jehovah. It means the one revealing himself, or it means the self-revealer. One of the things that God does in the Bible, and you especially see this in the Old Testament, you see it in the New Testament through the person of Jesus, but there are different names for God that's used in the Old Testament, Jehovah Jireh and Jehovah Roha, like this one here and they describe a different characteristic or a different dimension of God. And God reveals himself through these things. Well, the next word there, um, um, the shepherd word, that comes from the Hebrew word roha, which means to take care of, to tend to, to guide, 
to watch over. And so when you put these together, Jehovah Roha, it means the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my tender. The, the Lord is the one who looks over me. The Lord is the one who watches over me. And here's what David is saying. I want you to write this into your notes. I think this is a fill-in in your notes. The only one you have today. Plenty of space on the back for you to take notes, but just one fill-in. David is saying about God that God is my provider. God is my provider. I want you to say that with me. God is my provider. Let's say it again, but like we're together on this, okay? Like the pace car is out in front of us. God is my provider. But one more time, like you really mean it. God is my provider. But what's the big deal there? Why does it matter? And what does God being a provider have to do with this stressed out life that I'm living? Well, in these verses, in this description of a relationship that David has with God. And by the way, David doesn't have a relationship with God that you can't have. There's not anything special about David. I mean, we think of him as special because it's King David and he's in the Bible. If he's in the Bible, he, he must be special. Well, I, I understand that connection, but he's a human being just like you and me. You, you can have just as close a relationship with God as, as David did. In fact, I'll tell you this, you have exactly the relationship with God right now that you want to have with him. Now let that sink in. See, I just went from preaching to meddling in your life right there. That's what that is. You are as close to the Lord as you want to be. If you're not close to the Lord, guess what? It's not that important to you. But, but in these verses, David describes what it's like to have a relationship with God. And he talks about him as a shepherd, the God who is a provider. And in this description, in these lines, we find the antidote to dealing with the stress in our lives. And some of you don't believe me. And the truth is, just if we're playing the law of averages here, a lot of you don't believe me. You wouldn't say it like that because you like me, most of you. And, and you wouldn't think of it that way. But you don't. So I'm talking to those of you who do believe it. And you know, one of the things I've learned over the years, one of the things I don't really like sharing about being 50 now, 51, almost 52, is I don't like this reflective thing so much. I just, it makes me feel old. Well, I'm reflecting back. Well, in reflecting back, Man, I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Am I 52 or 62 or 72, 82, 92? I'm not really sure. Here's, here's what I've learned through the years. 
most of the time, we don't need God until we need him. You get it? And so I think the people that will dig in this morning and listen are those of us who are just at our wits' ends. Where the, the, the stress, the chronic stress has gotten to the point that we're desperate. That's usually when we're ready to hear from the Lord. So let's talk about what it means for God to be our provider. I want to give you four or five, maybe even six ways that God provides for us, just depending on how much time we have. But here, here's the first one. If you're taking notes, write this down. God provides for my physical needs. You can just write physical needs. God provides for my physical needs. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the quiet waters. When David says, I lack for nothing, he's saying that if you follow the Lord and if you trust him, he will meet our every need, no matter what the circumstances may be in our lives. David, David had learned that God provided his needs when he had little, when he had a lot, when he felt like he was really close to the Lord. And even in those times when he, he maybe hasn't prayed for weeks, David knew that because God is shepherd and he is God's sheep, that God provides for his life in whatever ways we need. And you know, one of the one of the dangers in reading through a story like this, or you know, uh, talking about the life of someone like David, is to think, well, of course David felt like God was his provider because he had so much. He felt good about God and good about what he had because he's the king. He had the best houses, the best women, the best cars. Of course, he didn't have a car, but a little carried away there. He had box seats and the Super Bowl, whatever he wanted. He, he's the king. But you know, people who have that kind of money, they don't really think that way. They don't think that way because they have it. They've been there. They've done that. They, they know it's a lot of fun to have stuff, to have money, to have good food and those sorts of things, but they know that it can leave you empty. And what, what David, and I think this is so interesting about his life, is David is not saying, Lord, thank you for steak. Lord, thank you for my air fryer. Lord, thank you for all the good food. He's, he's saying the simple things, the things that really matter. Lord, thank you for water. Thank you for grass. Thank you for the things that I need. And you or I might say, well, I don't have everything I want. Well, maybe David didn't have everything he wanted, but he certainly had everything he needed. And our God who shepherds us, he won't leave us in need. You may be left with want, but that's on you and not on God. God does not leave his sheep in need. 
one of the things that's sort of built into this whole idea of God being the shepherd is, uh, man, it takes a big commitment. How many of you have pets? Just a show of hands. See that pet that needs food on a regular basis, right? Water on a regular basis. You have to take the pet out. You know, I'm assuming if it's cat or dog or tiger, whatever you have, you, you have to take it out occasionally. You have to look after. That takes a big commitment. If you're going to go away on vacation, if you're going to be gone overnight, you have to call Sharon, Seja, <laughs> and say, I, I need help. It's a, it's a big commitment. It's a big requirement. Being a shepherd is dangerous work. If you, if you remember back through David's story, he, he talks about the time when he was a shepherd as a young boy, a young man, and uh, the bear came out to attack the sheep, and he had to kill the bear. And another time, a lion came to attack the sheep, and he had to kill the lion. It, it's dangerous business, and it's personal it's a hands-on business. That's why I love that David says, the Lord is my shepherd, my shepherd. He, he's not saying he, he's only my shepherd. He's not saying can't be your shepherd too, but he's just talking about the personal relationship that he has with God. The, the Lord knows me. He knows my name. He cares about me. He, he knows that as a sheep, I won't drink out of moving water. I need water that pulls up. Uh, sheep, you know, they have this wool all over them. They, running water spooks them because they know if they should fall in, and they're sort of clumsy at times, if they fall in and that wool fills up with water, it'll, they'll sink, they'll drown, they're dead. And David says, you know me, you know me intimately. And then you're not afraid to be intimate with me. You know, the, the sheep, sometimes they get hurt, have to be nursed. Sometimes they're bruised, you have to heal them up. So, sometimes you have to help them deliver their babies. They, they get tired, you have to give them rest. You have to study them and pay attention and and see what's going on in their lives so that you can get involved. David is saying, God is a shepherd, and that means he loves me. Who are you depending on to meet your needs? And if you think about David, th think of all of the, think of all the brown nosers waiting to take care of his every need. I mean, some do it because they have to. I mean, they're paid to do it. But lots of people, they, they, want to, they want to get in with those guys. They want to be a part of that circle. They're willing to do, to do just about anything. They'll, they'll cover any need the king has. And so David could have pointed toward a whole staff of people who meets his needs, but he doesn't. He does, and he, he, if anyone could have claimed to take care of himself, it would have been David. I don't need anybody to meet my needs. I don't need a staff. I have a staff, but I don't need them. I can meet my own needs. I'm the king, King David. My reign, the golden years in Israel. Pfft. 
But he doesn't do that. Because what David has learned in his life is that people let you down. Hey, that's what we do. We let each other down. But God doesn't let us down. And I think David could add to this, not trying to put words in his mouth, but he could say, listen, over the years, I've been disappointed by people, but I've never been disappointed by God. Stop depending on other people to meet your needs and look to God to be the one who meets your needs. Let's keep going here. God provides renewal. He provides renewal. I'm going to say a lot about this uh, next week, so I'm just going to touch on it right now. But David says in verse 3, he refreshes my soul. That means that God gives life. He restores life. He refreshes. He re-strengthens. You know, the word recreation just means to recreate. In, in downtime, that's when we're recreated. God gives us strength and energy when he restores us. Man, the everyday stresses of life, they just have a way of sucking the life right out of you, don't they? Can anybody say amen on that? It's just true. These everyday stressors, Emily, Three, four. We're going to lay hands on you and pray over you before you leave today. Four little ones. I love your Facebook post. Sometimes uh, Karen and I have laughed about this before. I don't mean to embarrass you and put you on the spot in front of a couple hundred people. But every now and again, we're like, we got to just ride over to Emily's and take the kids for her. We, we, we wouldn't just pop in on you, but that's got to get crazy. Karen never got to go to the bathroom. It was probably five or six years before Karen ever went to the bathroom by herself when she didn't have two kids in there with her. I, I can't imagine four. But, but l- listen, no matter what your age, no matter what your stage in life is, whether you have kids, you don't have kids, I mean, life just has a way of wearing you down. It's supposed to. It's supposed to. We're supposed to get fatigued. We're supposed to be tired. The problem is is that when we're overly tired, overly emotionally distressed, man, that's when bad things start to happen. That's when our body starts to break down. That's when we begin to break down mentally. And you know what happens when we get tired? Vince Lombardi, the great Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame coach, he said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Fatigue makes us want to quit. And so when we're overly tired, even though you love those babies, you just want to walk away from them all. <laughs> you, you want to walk away from what you're doing. And that really, that's what a day off should be. That, that's what time away ought to be, but 
when you're overly tired and you're not giving the Lord an opportunity to restore you, to refresh you, to recreate you, to give you new strength and vitality and energy and life, you'll want to quit and you will quit. You'll start walking away from things that are important. You'll start walking away from important people like your family. I know that for pastors, the number one reason for us walking away from our calling is just not honoring the Sabbath day, feeling like we have to work all the time. But I guarantee that's not just the way pastors feel. I guarantee that's the way a lot of you feel in this room. Right now, you're feeling that way. In fact, some of you right now, you're thinking about quitting on something or someone that's really important. And if you really think through to it, the reason you want to quit is because you're just worn out. You're tired. You guys have heard me say this before, and I'll say it again. Not, not just today, but I'll keep saying it. You know, in another decade, I won't even remember that I've said it before. For some of you listening right now, the most spiritual thing that you could do, the best thing you could do for your health, your physical health, your mental, emotional health, is take a nap. Get a good night's sleep. Yet, you remember when you hated naps? Now as an adult, man, you'd give anything just to have a nap in the middle of the day. Take a nap. Get a good night's sleep. Take a day off. Listen, God did not create us to be on 24-7. He, he just didn't. You need time away. L listen to what the Bible says in Exodus 20. It's verses 8 through 11. God says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. And let me just remind you, this is one of God's big 10 rules. Right in there with murder and stealing. He says, take a day off. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in the six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. The purpose for saying all this is if you think your day's tough... But then he rested on the seventh day. He gives us this model. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. But the Sabbath day, that day that we should be breaking, that day we should pull away from the regular chores, the regular things we do in our lives to focus on the Lord and be refreshed, it's just like any other day. And it's killing you. It's killing us. Listen. David said, the Lord made me to lie down in green pastures. That word made means it's not an option. And, and if you keep disobeying it, your body is eventually going to override what you're doing and it's going to lie down on its own. But when your body lies down, 
there's big problems then because it'll lie down either with an emotional breakdown, a, a mental breakdown, a, a spiritual collapse, a moral failure. Listen, you are no more at risk of giving in to a big moral failure than when you're tired, physically tired, emotionally and mentally tired, or you can break down physically with a stroke or a heart attack. We need rest. Taking a day off, resting, doesn't make you lazy. Listen, it makes you human. You need it. I need it. We need it. No way around it. Got time for a couple more? You good? All right. God gives us guidance. God provides guidance. In verse 3, David says, He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. I'm glad he added that part, for his name's sake. That, that means it's not due to, that means that God guides us not because you're faithful to him, but because he's faithful to himself. God's faithful to you even when you're not faithful to him. Have you ever thought about that? You may walk away from God. You may turn your back on him. You may be unfaithful to God, but he'll never be unfaithful to you. And guiding Sheep along the right path, keep, keeping them going in the right direction, on the right road. It's very important, very important. And listen, th- there's not an adult in this room. Listen in. There's not an adult in this room who can look back over his or her life and say, I never wandered off the right path. Right? We all have. And hey, some of us didn't wander off that path. For some of us, it wasn't a miscalculation. It wasn't a mistake. It was a decision. You got off the right path. Got on the wrong path. The good thing about God, and this is one of the things that you just have to love and appreciate about him, is he'll keep you on the right path. But then if you're off the right path, he'll get you back on the right path. God doesn't just look at you and say, hey, I'm done with you. He doesn't look at you and say, look what a mess you've made out of your life. I'm just tired of messing with you. And he might discipline you. He might let you suffer the consequences for getting off the right path. But lovingly, he'll put you on the right path. So, Jimmy, how does God guide us? This is important because a lot of us are getting guidance from the wrong places, the wrong people. So where do you get that kind of guidance? Well, the primary way that God guides us is through his word. Oh, Jimmy, 
Can it be something else? Do we have to come back to this whole thing of I've got to read? (laughs) Does it have to come back to I have to read the Bible? Some of you guys are in here thinking, I've tried to read it. I can't understand it. And some of the guys who will tell me, I, just, I can't understand the Bible, are the same guys that could come up here and they could give a NASCAR talk on how the point system works. <laughs> Even NASCAR officials don't understand how the point system works. But you do. And you say, well, I just can't. I can't understand the Bible. You can. <laughs> Not to keep reflecting. But I have learned that people do what they want to do. So if, if you don't want to hear from God, then just stay out of his word. If, if, you, if you don't want to get on the right path and you don't want him to guide you, then just stay the course. Keep doing your own thing. But if you'll get serious about wanting to hear from the Lord... Get on the right path, get the right guidance in your life. You'll start paying attention to what he has to say. I'm going to give you this, and then we're going to wrap up. But you know what we're going to do? We're going to come right back to this message next week because there's a lot here to say. I want to make sure that you get it. I'm not in a hurry, are you? I mean, Easter is weeks away. I don't have anything else to preach until Easter. So... At Easter, we're going to be out of this because I've got to do Easter. But until then, I'm not in a big hurry. Listen to what Jesus says about himself in John 10, 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. Say good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for for his sheep. Then he says later in that same chapter in verse 27, my sheep listen to my voice. They listen to my voice. And, and, and by the way, that, that's, that's the way sheep get around. I mean, they, they have their head in the grass. They have their, well, they don't have a great view if, unless they're the one leading this thing. They're looking at the sheep in front of them. And so how do they know where to go? They have learned the voice of the shepherd and they follow that voice. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. So here's the challenge. Here's the challenge and we'll close. There are 56 days between now and Easter. Last year in preparation for Easter, we read the gospel of Matthew. We have some extra time this year. So I want you to read Mark, Luke, and John, one chapter a day. Now, that's like, I think it's, I don't remember the math, but I think it's 61 chapters. Would you mean, hang on, there's 56 days, 61 chapters? What do we do? I want you to read two chapters on Sunday. One chapter a day, every day between now and Easter. Two chapters on Sunday. Why is this a big deal? Because when Easter gets here, just think about this. If you read all three of those Gospels, you will be immersed in Jesus when Easter hits. That's going to be awesome. 
but you will also learn to hear his voice so that you can know how to follow him along that path in your life. And so listen, I'm, I'm asking you to stop stewing and start doing and take that connection card while the band comes up and they get ready to, to close us out with a song. And if you're willing to read, listen to me, if you're willing to read, Matt, well, not Matthew, but Mark, Luke, and John, chapter a day, every day of the week, two on Sunday, between now and Easter, I want you to take your connection card, write your name on it, and just put gospels somewhere on the card, front or back, doesn't matter. And then on your way out this morning, drop that into the offering basket. I, I just want to know how many people I'm talking to in the room. I want to know who's serious about being guided by the Lord. And this is a challenge. But again, stop stewing. Stop stewing in your emotions. Stop stewing in the fatigue. Stop going the wrong way down the wrong path. And let the Lord start guiding you and get into these gospels. If you want a, an everyday email or text reminder, then just put your email address on there or your mobile number and we'll make sure you get it. That's where we're gonna stop today because I'm not gonna hurry through it. But the band's getting nervous because it's 10 after. But they won't beat me up with y'all in here. They'll wait till we get out there in the office lobby. Listen, listen, listen. In my line of work, and I don't think it's that much different for many of you, but in, in my line of work, over, over the years, I've seen men, very influential pastors, whose lives are cut short because of chronic stress. They eat their emotions. They, they eat their depression. They keep it all down inside until one day they're gone. They've either left the ministry or a big moral failure or they're dead when there were still years and still calling and still ministry to be done and listen that's no less true for you for, for some of you to try to imagine volunteering to try to imagine doing ministry that you feel like God has put on you you can't even think about doing it because you're so busy doing the wrong things and doing the wrong things, the wrong lifestyle, going fast in circles, it's destroying you. I hope that you'll make some decisions to start changing that. Let, let's stand together and we'll close in prayer.
Heavenly Father, I've used up my, my word quota in this service. So my prayer is very simple. Lord, some of us are in trouble. And things we've been pushing down and hiding over the years, that things we've been addicted to in, in private are now surfacing. They're coming to the top. What we've eaten in private, we're wearing in public. No rest, the wrong guidance. It, it shows up in the lack of energy and passion and vitality that we have. It, it shows up in the bad decisions we've made with money, with love, and other important areas of our lives. And Lord, just help us to believe you right now when you say it's not too late. You can always get on the right path. You can start listening to me today. You can start changing that life today. Lord, we know we need your help in this. We, we can't do it alone. So we trust you for it. We pray in Jesus' great name. Amen.